0: You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. This is the message from this week's service. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church or even check out some next steps. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Well, good morning, Word of Life. How about that giving devo from Pastor Annie? So rich and so good. I'm so grateful for uh, what God lays on people's hearts here. If you're new today at Word of Life, it's your first time or your second time, I hope you were greeted warmly. Make sure when you're leaving you grab a cup of coffee, connect with someone. Uh, We want you to feel loved and welcome here. And if you're joining us online today, welcome. Um, We have some great chat hosts there that want to connect with you today. I am just uh, grateful to be a part of everything that's going on in this fellowship. Um, so my family and I just returned from a week of vacation uh, last week, and I'm telling this story not with their permission, but with my permission because I'm throwing myself under the bus. Okay, usually if I tell a story about my family, I get their permission, um, but I'm throwing myself under the bus here. Um, who has adult children that you've tried to go away with? Anyone ever tried to do that? So it's difficult enough to go away with children who are um, still in school and you have to figure out all the sports schedules and all that, Um, but we have adult children now. One lives at home with us and he's working full time and the other one lives about three hours away and he's teaching. And so we had to kind of figure out in January what everyone's schedules were going to look like. That included my husband's call schedule, my schedule here at Word of Life, my son's summer teaching schedule. My other son didn't have his new job yet, so we had no idea what this was going to look like. And we had to figure out the availability of the cottage we wanted to rent. And so in January, I sent a bunch of text messages out. It took a few days, and we settled on a week of vacation. And so I booked the cottage, put the first deposit down, wrote it on everybody's calendar, including mine, my calendar too put in for the time off. All of us did that. And um, the week that we were going to be going on vacation, you know, I'm doing laundry, I'm getting things packed, I'm figuring out what all we need. Um, Because there's a kitchen there, we cook most of our meals, so there's a lot of food food involved. So I started making that grocery list. And the day, uh, Friday, the 18th, that we had all uh, planned to leave, I put in an Instacart pickup order about 45 minutes from the cottage, because that was the closest place I could do it, and that way we'd have our food nice and cold and fresh. This all makes sense, right, moms? All makes sense? Okay, so we get ready to go. We're packing the cars up. We have everything. We're gonna stop and get this food. We've got the dog in the car sedated. I think we have a picture of the poor sedated Maggie. Look at her. She's sedated, yeah. She, she didn't really know what was happening, but she knew she was going somewhere. We're ready. Fishing poles in the car, ready to rock, cooler in the back, because we're going to pick up the food on the way. The food has already been shopped for, packed up, according to Instacart, paid for. And I pull out my phone and go to text the owner of the rental cottage so I can get the code for the door and give him the final deposit on Friday, the 18th of August. And when I look at my phone, I realize we're supposed to move in on Saturday, the 19th of August. It was a bad moment for me. If you're a type A personality like I am, this is a bad, bad moment. I don't know where... I went wrong. I'm not sure where in the calendars I went. I had done a second deposit and a second set of text messages with him. And somewhere in my head, I decided we were leaving Friday. So my husband was just hopping into the car with his bottle of water and ready to start the car. And I just took my phone and showed it to him. I couldn't even talk. Took my phone and showed it to him. And then I picked up my purse. I got out of the car. And I went and sat in the dark in the living room. (laughs) And there are two ways this can go, right? There are two very distinct ways this can go. And I thought, because I've controlled everything and I've made everything work so well, the way it's gonna go is my family is going to express their displeasure and frustration with me verbally and then possibly with extreme silence, right? That's what I thought. But my family did not do that. My family was silent for a moment, which was wise. And then they were gracious and loving and kind. And as I'm trying to get a hold of Instacart, my husband says, let's just get in the car, go pick up those groceries that are an hour and a half away, and get some ice cream. That's a a good man right there. But he controlled his tongue, he controlled his emotions, and he kept himself in check. Now, we can respond with grace. And love to one another when the Spirit of God begins to grow self-control in our lives that's a super quick kind of common interaction that could happen in a family don't be me don't book the wrong dates for vacation or think you're leaving but today I am preaching on the last fruit of the Spirit we've gone through all of them and now today we're learning about self-control so Galatians 5 22 to 23 and my references today are from the New Living Translation But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Father, we thank you that in your word we find the answers. We find the truth and we find your love. I pray today that you would speak And that you would make differences and changes in our hearts, our minds, and our behavior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the book of Galatians is all about freedom in Christ. Um, and now we've understand, as we've gone through the fruit of the Spirit, how many of you have enjoyed this series, kind of picking, the, picking apart the fruit of the Spirit? Usually that's like one sermon or maybe two, but we went through every single one of them and we've understood that the fruit is about freedom from the control of the flesh, and the flesh can be controlled by, by vices or other things that are happening in our lives and instead being controlled by the Spirit of God. So the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives produces this fruit, or sometimes they're called virtues or, or characteristics. Those are produced in our lives. And that's something that consistently should be showing around, uh, in, in and through us and to those around us. And before this set of verses... Paul lists another group of characteristics, and those are things like impurity and immorality, dissension and division and selfishness and envy, and he lists things that can be in our hearts and that show as behaviors as a result of that. So often in Christian circles, especially in Christian circles, we tend to focus on outward behavior. What we can see, uh, what manifests from what somebody does, these are the ones that we can see. But Paul actually calls out in those scriptures before the fruit of the Spirit, both outward behaviors like drunkenness and idolatry and heart issues like jealousy and selfish ambition so when the Holy Spirit begins to produce the fruit of self-control in us it's reflective of an inward change in our hearts and then it will radiate out um, in changed Christ-like behavior David Gusick says the world knows something of self-control but almost always for a selfish reason it knows the self-discipline and denial someone will go through for themselves But the self-control of the spirit will also work on behalf of others. Here's another thought from the dictionary of the Bible. From the philosophical point of view, self-control is mastery over the passions. It's the virtue which holds the appetites in check. The rational will has power to regulate conduct without being unduly swayed by sensuous appetites. But from the New Testament point of view the grace of self-control is the result of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. It is the spirit-controlled personality alone that is strengthened with power to control rebellious desires and to resist the allurements of tempting pleasures. Now, for today, I'm going to try to define self-control using kind of a combination of those two thoughts. And um, I'm going to kind of define it as the Opposite almost of self denial or self discipline. So, in other words, not denying something for the sake of the betterment of ourselves, but instead it's allowing the Holy Spirit to move in us and to change us for the betterment of ourselves, yes, but for the betterment of others. Kind of like the way my family treated me on vacation. That was for my betterment, right? And as a result of our relationship with Jesus and ultimately, to bring glory to God. So we see a few standout examples of self-control in scriptures and we see some standouts of maybe self-discipline or a lack of self-control. And I'm gonna try to pronounce the original uh, Greek term here. It's enkratia. And it can be used in a positive context like this is true spiritual self-control. And it can also be in the light of when outward actions don't match what's happening inside the heart. In other words, false self-control. So uh, a couple of those examples, one of them is Saul in 1 Samuel 13, and you can read this passage later. It's actually fascinating, um, but essentially Saul bypassed God's anointed prophet, that was Samuel, and he offered a sacrifice before going to war. He was not supposed to do that. And when he gets caught, he tries to backtrack and says he felt compelled to do this. But God knew Saul's heart, and he spoke to Samuel, and Samuel's words to him, prophetic words for for him, were that he would be replaced with someone who was a man after God's heart. And we know that was referring to David, and meaning that Saul's outward actions did not match what was actually happening in his heart. Another example where this verb is used, encrateia, encrateia, I got it, encrateia. I listened to it on Google pronunciation like 16 times. That's what you have to do. Um, <clears throat> Haman in Esther 5, um, when Mordecai, he was a devout and devoted Jewish man, he refused to bow before Mordecai because he believed he should only bow before the one true God. And so in outwardly, Mordecai's restraining himself and looks looks like he's holding his emotions in. But inwardly, he's weaving this plan of revenge and genocide. Um, And ultimately, his plan doesn't only fail, but it backfires on him because God intervenes and he actually perishes by the means that he plans to kill all of the Jewish people. And then we see some moments where Jesus called things out, and this doesn't necessarily reference the original Greek word that I was talking about, but he calls out the same type of outward self-denial that would appear as self-control, but the conditions of the heart speak something else. In Matthew 23, Jesus speaks of the Pharisees, and they, they were the religious leaders of the day, and he says that on the outside they look obedient, restrained, pious, but in the inside their hearts are unclean, filled with lawless motives. And even preventing people from coming to God. He compares them to whitewashed tombs. In other words, looking pure and clean on the outside, but inside they are filled with everything vile, the most unclean thing possible, like a grave filled with corpses. And in that particular passage, there are some sobering revelations because it's possible to mimic self-control if we're careful enough. We can walk a certain way. We can use the right language. We can even know God and have a relationship with him. But what's happening on the inside is not his work. It's only happening on the outside. Scary stuff when you look at the passage. And so with a lack of inward change, what was happening there was they were walking a line between legalism and true righteousness. And they were over here following the law, but not truly being cleansed from their sin because that kind of work is only done by a holy God working in our lives. So we're going to look today at the human condition in people like Saul and Haman and the Pharisees and, of course, us, and we're going to see what kind of difference the Holy Spirit begins to work when he starts growing the true fruit of self-control in our hearts. So everybody good? Here we go. All right. I promise I'm I'm not going to try to make you feel terrible. I promise. When I heard I was speaking on self-control, I was like, oh man. But it's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. So, the first thing that I want to say is the fruit of self-control will change our behavior and our choices. The fruit of self-control will change our behavior, and our choices. And I'm starting here because when we think of self-control, we often think about outward behaviors, things that we can see or experience by our, with ourselves or with other people. Um, so in these passages that I just talked about, we either see changed behavior or acceptable behavior. Everybody's behaving. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Saul, outwardly, appears contrite and reverent even as he's in rebellion. Haman is controlling his actions even as he's plotting the murder of an entire race, pure evil, Taking place in his mind and the Pharisees are operating within the confines of the law and and I want to say I follow a few people on social media who are in Orthodox Judaism because I always like to learn What different cultures are doing and just kind of understand that and just watching that I can only Imagine what lengths the Pharisees went through to make sure they were doing everything right it had to be a full-time job for them to do that. And so we as people can choose to deny ourselves or discipline ourselves for the purpose of helping ourselves, maybe to kick a bad habit or to win friends or influence people or to gain respect or to rise to a position of leadership. So any one of us in and of ourselves, we can figure that out, right? We can figure out how to do that. We as people can choose to deny ourselves or discipline ourselves for the purpose of helping ourselves. And this is what I'm talking about is not just a pattern of behavior, but we can even mimic a religious ideal. Right, um, we can follow a pattern of rules or regulations. You know, a religious system and any rules that come with that can be followed just as easily as policies at a job, or the social uh, group group that we're in. What what that's expected, what what's expected of us through that. So through practice and work, anyone can show changed behavior. But without the work of the Holy Spirit, we're just going to serve ourselves. And it won't necessarily serve others, it won't deepen our relationship with Christ, and it won't bring glory to God. So I want to talk about an example of self-control where uh, someone is truly exhibiting love for God and for others, and that's Joseph. So the story of Joseph is, Joseph upset his brothers because he put his foot in his mouth. And he boasted about a dream that he had where he was going to be ruling over his brothers, and they got angry with him, and they sold him into slavery. And things in Joseph's life kind of got worse and worse and worse, to the point where he ends up in prison for something that he didn't do. And while he's in prison, God remembers him because Joseph loves God, and God places him on a trajectory where he ends up Not just out of prison, but in the king's leadership, second in command. And we find out that his brothers come to see him because there's a famine in the land, and they need food. Now when they come to Joseph, nobody would have questioned if he had imprisoned them. Nobody would have questioned if he'd had them executed. Nobody would have questioned if he'd just sent them away and said, no, this food is only for the Egyptians. Joseph didn't lord it over his brothers by reminding them of the dream that he had. He didn't boast in that moment. Instead, he showed incredible God-loving self-control, took care of his family, and showed his brothers that he loved them. And in doing so, he showed the Egyptian people that the God that he served was greater than anything that had happened to him. Yes. So is it wrong to obey rules or respectfully observe social constructs? No, of course not. And, you know, one could argue that most rules and laws are put in place for the benefit of us and for others. So I'm not saying that at all um, because some of those things protect us, right? They're not a bad thing. Self-discipline is not bad. But true self-control will be a change in behavior that does not always benefit us. It is not always self-centered. It may benefit others. It springs from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as he purifies us and sanctifies us. Because the Holy Spirit will always purify and sanctify us. And it draws us closer to God because he's without sin. And ultimately, this true change of behavior will bring glory to God and point people to him. Because that's what the Holy Spirit always does. So as the Holy Spirit begins to work, we can know that he will help us with our choices. We don't have to engage in behavior that's harmful to us or detrimental to our relationships or hurts other people in our lives. We can walk away from temptation. We can choose not to engage in gossip or the argument or harmful habits. We can know that the Holy Spirit will continually strengthen us and equip us to do that. Amen? Amen. So the second thought here is he changes our outward behavior and our choices. We can see that, right? But he also, the fruit of self-control, will change our motives and our desires. So this is more difficult to measure than change behavior, right? What's motivating us. But a change in in our motives and desires will inform our behavior, right? So that's why it's so important that the work is done by the Holy Spirit because we are naturally selfish from birth a very wise woman my mother Mary heir often says you don't have to teach a child to be bad they already know how to do that and that's because we are born with a selfish self-centered sin-filled nature and when we look at the examples of Saul trying to elevate himself to a position of authority before going to war of Haman trying to trap Mordecai in his quest to become more important, or even the Pharisees trying to look good to gain uh, more respect and more authority. It's easy to see what their motives are because we have the benefit of Scripture, right? We see exactly what was going on there. But what about looking inward into what's motivating us, what our desires are? That can be really tough, and it can only be done through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. David, who was called the man after God's own heart when Samuel spoke to Saul about him, said this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. David put his his heart and his moments before the Lord, and he offered himself up. To be changed. Now, if you're like me, and I'll just be honest, I bristle at the idea of my motives being questioned because I want to imagine that my motives are always good, but I know they aren't always good because I have a sin filled heart right i can be selfish because that's who i am that's who my nature is and so i have to concede that sometimes i need the holy spirit to reveal what's happening in my desires and our motives and allowing a loving kind god to do that will allow him to point out anything that is not aligned with God's desires and God's motives and ultimately will change those motives and desires to be like his. The story of Daniel is another example of true God-loving self-control. And When we start out in the very first chapter of the book, we see Daniel and his friends have been captured. They're Hebrew young men who love God. They know the Mosaic Law. They understand what they're supposed to do as, as followers of Judaism And they're captured, and they're taken out of their country, out of their culture, and they're placed in the king's palaces in Babylon. And in order to be in that place, they were being trained to actually serve him and further the ideals of his kingdom. And so one of the things that happened is they were given this food. They were presented with this food from the king's kitchens. And I can imagine it was rich It was high quality. It was decadent. But Daniel believed that this food would cause him to defile himself. And so he asked if he and his friends could refrain from eating that... And instead have a diet of only vegetables and water. So eventually his request was granted. They did a 10-day trial. And most of you know this story. After 10 days, these young men were stronger and in better shape than the young men who had eaten the food from the king's kitchens. And that gave testimony that God was in control and he was caring for them. Now, David had, in my opinion, or what I think when I look at this, he probably had no external motive to impress anyone in uh, the kingdom that he came from. Because I can't imagine there was a priest or a rabbi hanging out in the palace at that point, watching what they were doing. And if he had had a desire to protect himself or even promote himself, he would have done what the king asked him to do. But instead of using what would be a typical internal motive to either protect ourselves or promote himself. He allowed God's motivation to guide him, and he prioritizes his relationship with God over and over in this book over anything else, over any chance he has to protect himself, any chance he has to further his position, and because of that, he pleases God and shows the power of a loving and almighty God to the people of Babylon. It's that simple. Our motives get messed up. We're fickle. And tough circumstances, fears from our past, hurts, anxiety, all of these things can skew our view of the world. And it can cause us to trust our ability to control what happens to us and twist our motives. And what might seem like a pure desire may actually be something self-centered or even impure. And ultimately, eventually, Our outward behavior is going to match what's happening on the inside. So giving the Holy Spirit control of our motives and our desires will allow self-control to change that part of us. And we can trust that he will always shine a light on the parts of our hearts that need to be submitted to him. And my last thought here is the fruit of self-control will change Our thoughts and our minds the fruit of self-control will change our thoughts and our minds our motives and desires arise from our thoughts and our behavior and our choices come from our motives and desires so they're all connected Saul's thoughts were about power and victory Not through God, but by his own merit. And his desires reflected those thoughts, and ultimately his choices were poor. Haman spent his time thinking about how he could be revered and worshipped and become more powerful. And he allowed those hateful thoughts about Mordecai to become a driving force in his plan to commit genocide. And his actions led to his own demise. The Pharisees' thoughts of controlling others and ultimately gaining authority over them led them to motives of elevated status and religious abuse. And even though outwardly their behavior seemed pleasing to God, Jesus knew what was happening, and Jesus called it out. Paul said in Romans 12, 2, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Allowing God's spirit to inform our thoughts will change who we are. So, I brought a little illustration here. I got some things. So, I have an apple here and I have a couple of jars. Let's see, I'll just, I'll just hold the jars for now. So, um, Pastor Megan, uh, in the beginning of this series, brought an apple. And just full disclosure, this is a fake apple because I have access to tons of props over on the South Campus. So, she brought an apple and she talked about um, the fruit and the characteristics of that fruit. Um, now, I've never tried to grow apples. In fact, I've confessed to many of you that I am a terrible gardener. But I did some research on Google, so I'm confident I know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, so when I, when I researched this, um, we're gonna let this symbolize the fruit of the spirit and specifically self-control, but it could be all of the fruit, okay? So we have an apple here. Now this, I'm gonna hold the top so nothing bad happens. This is sand. It's the kind of sand you might find on the beach or on a playground, there is nothing in here, no nutrients, no no any great things to grow apples. Now, I know that if I tried to grow apples in this, it would definitely fail. If I planted an apple seed, I might get a little sprout for a little while, but this doesn't have the things in it that an apple tree needs to grow and grow fruit. And um, even if I add stuff to it, some water, put it in the sun, that's not going to happen. This is soil, and it's good soil. We're going to imagine that it has nitrogen and potassium and phosphorus, all the things that Google says an apple tree needs. And if I had a lot of guidance and a lot of help and had all of the other right conditions, if I planted apple seeds in this soil, it's very possible that eventually apples would grow. So our hearts and our mind, the Holy Spirit, or before the the fruit of the Spirit comes in or before the Holy Spirit begins to change us, the soil of our human nature is a lot like this sand. There's not a lot of good stuff in there. The right nutrients don't exist. We don't possess holiness or righteousness. You know, like Jesus called out in the Pharisees, our hearts are full of yucky things. Death, filth, sins, he called them tombs. their graves filled with corpses. That's what our hearts are like. And in the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, their hearts weren't like this. Their hearts were like this because they were created without sin. And they spent their time with God every day in a perfect garden. But when they chose to partake of the fruit from a tree that was not for them, And they disobeyed God. That was the sin, disobeying disobeying God. Their hearts changed, and they became like this sand. Dirty and gritty, and not much good can grow into this. It's almost like that's what our hearts are like. Filled with sand, not good things. And the fruit of the Spirit can only grow in the right soil. And when we come to Jesus, the Spirit of God immediately begins to live inside of us. And he changes us from yucky, dirty, gritty sand to rich, fertile, life-giving soil. He changes our hearts immediately. Yes, that's okay. If one person claps, we all have to. This is not just enriched or improved. It's transformed. Transformed. It's completely transformed. We're changed. Our nature is different, and our identity switches. And now the Holy Spirit can grow the fruit in us, truly turning graves into gardens. Amen? Amen. He's so good. So there's a few things that we can do here because true self-control is a foreign concept to our own flesh and our heart until the Holy Spirit begins to dwell in us. And then growth of all the good things that he has for us can happen, things that benefit us, things that benefit others, things that grow us closer to God, and things that ultimately point people to Jesus. So here's our challenge today and just a few practical steps that we can take to allow the fruit of self-control to flourish in our our lives because I love a practical step everybody ready all right here we go so allowing the Holy Spirit once he lives in us and changes us to begin self-control in us can look like this for our hearts and our minds we can partner with him in this okay so the first thing we can ask him to help us with our thought life it's as simple as that we can say Lord can you help me with my thoughts Filling our minds with God's Word rather than a Twitter feed or a gossip session or poisonous conversations, right? The Holy Spirit is faithful to work in our minds. Scriptures like 2 Timothy one seven, he gives us a sound mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5, taking rebellious thoughts captive. Those scriptures remind us that he will work in our minds and change them. We don't have to be held captive by our thoughts. We can hold our, health, our thoughts captive by the strength of the Holy Spirit. Our thoughts don't have to be molded by fear, by past hurts, by lies from the enemy. They can be transformed and our minds can be renewed we can learn to listen to the holy spirit rather than listening to our childhood rather than listening to our background rather than listening to hurt or shame or even our emotions listening to the holy spirit spirit instead brings true self-control and allows the other fruit to shine because if self-control isn't showing our behavior will obliterate the ability for other people to see the other fruits. We're going to look different outside because we're different inside when we allow the Holy Spirit to work this way. Secondly, partnering with the Holy Spirit in changing our motives and desires. Often we look to our feelings to shape our motives and desires. And our feelings can steer us very, very, very wrong. I had a great conversation with a dear friend of mine, Pastor Margaret Giordano, um, just about three weeks ago. And this woman is much smarter than I am. She is working on her thesis for her doctorate degree. She's going to be Dr. Giordano. And one of the things that she's presenting is the idea that observing things like gratitude or thankfulness, even in the absence of feelings, can bring a change of heart desire. that interesting Um, so there's value in this I believe there's value in this so one way you can do this practically is worshiping the God who loves us with gratitude whether we feel it or not right saying thank you for what he's done can allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and transform our desires prayers of Thanksgiving and concern for other people can change us from inwardly focused To outwardly focus and allow us to see people around us as people in need of a loving Savior giving opportunities for the Holy Spirit to examine our motives just as David did can bring to light things that need to be dealt with so we can quickly identify them and ask him to help us with them rather than allowing our feelings to drive us the Holy Spirit's in charge now we had a chance to do that this morning during communion we took a moment and examined our hearts. Practicing this can allow the Holy Spirit to work. And last, asking the Holy Spirit to shape our behaviors and choices. We can work with the Holy Spirit here, understanding the voice of the Spirit. When we sense conviction, we stop and ask Him to help us. When we read scripture and apply it to our lives, we begin to behave the way that God would have us to behave. And it allows us to change. Not because we're following the law, but because obeying him strengthens us. When we exercise that muscle of self-control, it gets stronger and stronger. And it benefits us, it benefits others, and it strengthens our relationship with God. And then there are things we may try to get right by ourselves. And no matter how hard we try to act right, we just can't do it. We can't conquer our detrimental habits. We can't align our choices right. Because there's still the problem of trying to discipline ourselves for our own good rather than for the good of of others and for the glory of God. So we can't solve that problem on our own. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to change our hearts. We need Jesus to change the soil of our hearts so that he can transform us. And when he does that, he changes our identity. We no longer are sin-filled, filthy, impure hearts of humans. But we're transformed to the identity of the pure and righteous Jesus Christ who died for us us. We can change the soil of our hearts through him from sandy, dirty, and death-filled to life-giving and fruitful. So we're going to take a moment. We're going to stand together and worship, and let's let the Holy Spirit speak to us and reveal to us what he has to say. We stand together.